Hello and welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. And when you pray, you are participating in not only your destiny, but in the eternal destiny of people around you. Please pray. Please pray. Have you ever messed up so badly that you figured God may have washed his hands of you? Is there any hope of making it right? There are some history-making lessons that we can learn from the Israelite nation at a time when the prophet Jeremiah was doing his best to lead them on the right path. Dr. Corbett is in the Old Testament book of Jeremiah, chapter 15, and his topic, The Power to Change History. Let's join him now. Father, for some of us here today, we're in pain and we want healing. Father, for some of us here today, we are in anguish and we want peace. Father, today some of us are here with serious questions. We're beginning to ask the most important questions of life rather than the superficial, trivial questions we're continually conditioned to think. Father, there are some of us here today and we have strained or broken relationships and we want those restored. Father, there are some of us here today with crippling debt and we want those debts cleared. Father, there are some of us here today and we're desperately lonely and we want a friend. Father, whatever people's needs are today, whatever circumstances they are facing right now, we pray that by the grace of God, that as the word of God is ministered, you would minister your grace right where people need it. Father, for those that need healing, we know, Lord, that as Jesus preached, people were healed. As the apostles preached, people were healed. And Father, today, as your word is preached, may people be healed. And Father, we know that your word sheds light. And so, Father, we pray that you would answer questions that people have. Father, your word also brings peace. And we pray, Lord, that as your word is ministered, you would minister the peace of God into those who are experiencing turmoil and anguish. And Father, we pray that your word will give wisdom to those who are facing challenges that are beyond them. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Jeremiah part 36. And we're going to look at the power to change history. We're looking at the first four verses of Jeremiah chapter 15. And this is a remarkable little passage that we have here. And it begins a section that kind of doesn't finish. This is the second part of the book of Jeremiah. We've broken the first part up into the call of Jeremiah, looking at how God called him as a very young boy and how God used him. And now we're looking at Jeremiah's complaint. And what we're seeing in this section are the number of times that Jeremiah complained. Let's have a look at Jeremiah chapter 15, verse 1. Then the Lord said to me, though Moses and Samuel stood before me, yet my heart would not turn toward this people. Send them out of my sight and let them go. Let them go, God tells Jeremiah. Let them go. And Jeremiah was was to prophesy this conversation that he was having with God to the people. And in a moment, we're going to see that God anticipates that the, that the people will respond with a question. But let's come back to this. Why was God saying to Jeremiah, stop praying for them? There's no use praying for them. Stop 
praying for them. Release them. Let them go. Hand them over to me, Jeremiah. Why was he doing that? Why was God doing that? Well, it seems, it seems as if there comes a point when, when we're praying for people and, and there comes a point when God expects for the people being prayed for to start praying for themselves. And here in this instance, we have probably the, the last great two intercessors of Israel. Moses, where the scriptures say Moses on several occasions was told something very similar by God. Stand aside, Moses. I'm going to destroy the people. And we read that, that Moses pleads with God, don't do it, God. Be merciful to these people. And God relents. And so Moses was able to persuade God not to bring national judgment. And then, of course, Samuel did the same thing. In fact, the ministry of a prophet is the ministry of a prayer. Another word for a prayer is an intercessor. I don't like the word intercessor because it sounds like a special class of Christians because we're actually all called to it. We're all called to be prayers. We're all called to be intercessors. I met too many intercessors who give intercessors a bad name because they are off with the fairies. And it, it just creates this perception that, that you don't want to be known as an intercessor because you, 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 you're going to be thought less of. But we should all be intercessors. We should all be intercessors. Here's Moses, the great intercessor. Here's Samuel, the great intercessor. And at one point, Samuel meets the rebellious King Saul and he says to King Saul, far be it from me that I should sin by stopping to pray for you, by ceasing my prayers for you. Samuel actually thought that it was sin to cease praying for leaders. So these men were men of prayer. And the interesting thing is that God says, if these men were to stand before me, the point is they don't. Now, next time you're having a theological coffee with your Catholic friends, you might want to point out that the Bible says that God seems to think that the dead saints are not standing before him, praying on behalf of anyone. Just a thought to help along any, if you just haven't had a good argument in a long time, this might help you. Just a thought. So God expects people to pray for themselves. You, know, you might be here and you may not know God and, and I guarantee you there are people praying for you. You may not know Jesus. You may not have come to an understanding of who Jesus is. Your spiritual eyes may not be open, but you may sense something's going on inside of you. You may sense the tug. You may sense the, the wooing, the drawing. You may sense something's going on. Your interest in spiritual things may have increased. Something is going on. Friend, I tell you, at some point, you're going to have to pray. You're going to have to pray for yourself. You're going to have to pray, God, I don't even know if you're real, but if you are, please reveal yourself to me. Because unless you start that journey, you will not complete the journey of coming into a relationship with God and there is and there are eternal consequences at stake here. So, let's have a look at the second verse. Jeremiah 15 verse 2. And when they ask you, 
where shall we go? Because God has told Jeremiah, let them go. Let them go. Now here's kind of the, the let them go is, is God saying, Jeremiah, this is the infinite God of love, by the way, saying, Jeremiah, let them go. This was God's love behind this. You see, because let me jump ahead in the story. Those that were continuing to sacrifice their babies and burn their children alive and telling people that this is what the God of heaven required, God was going to remove them. Those people that were committing rampant immorality and adultery, whether it be incest or pedophilia or rampant rape, and saying to people, I'm doing this as an act of worship to God, God was going to remove them. And then there were those people that were just confused, those people that were saying, well, I, I, I want to love God, I want to know God, my leaders aren't showing me how, I don't really know what's going on. And God says, that's right, you come with me, I'm taking you to Babylon, you're going into captivity and I'll guard you there. And that's where we pick up the story of Esther. You know, Esther was a part of the second generation of those people that went into captivity. It's where we pick up immediately the story of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, these men, these young boys that were taken in that wave of captivity. These were people that had a heart that was open to God. And because of this, God kept them, preserved them, and then brought them back. And in the lineage of those that came back was a young teenage girl by the name of Mary. And a man came back, descended from those people that went into captivity. His name was Joseph. And you know the story? Jesus came as a result of this. This episode is actually God's love at work right now. And if God did nothing, there would have been no Mary. There would have been no Joseph. There would have been no Saviour born. This is God's destiny at work. And sometimes we see the, what appears to be the hard hand of God, the withdrawing presence of God, and we think this is God withdrawing his love but it's not and when they ask you where shall we go you shall say to them thus says the lord those who are for pestilence to pestilence those who are for the sword to the sword those who are for famine to famine and those who are for captivity to captivity so here we have god declaring that he actually has ordained the destiny of everybody in Israel. And some are destined for famine, some are destined for pestilence, some are destined for the sword, some are destined to be taken into captivity. Destiny. We sometimes hear the word destiny, and particularly if we're a Christian, and there's a whole category of Christians who have a concept of predestiny, predestination, and they confuse it with this other word, Fate, fatalism. Fatalism is the idea that we have no say, no control, no input into our future, no input into where life, history, the future is going at all. We're all just a part of a grand chess game and someone's moving us and we have no say in it. That is not the biblical position of God's destiny. God's destiny involves your free will, your voluntary free choice. And it's a mystery how God outworks his destiny. 
It's a mystery how God has not only foreknown what will happen, but he's foreordained it. Because it's not that we're mechanical robots. We actually play our part. Please pray. And so let's not be fatalistic. Well, if it'll happen, it'll happen. That causes churches to die. Well, if God wants to bring them in, he'll just bring them in. We'll just sit back here and wait for it to happen. That is not biblical Christianity. Not biblical Christianity. We are, we are a part of a people with a destiny. We have, there is predestination. And it's a mystery how God outworks it. But the mystery does not extend to what we should be doing. We should be praying. We should be sharing. We should be proclaiming the love of God, the offer of God's forgiveness. We should be doing that. Amen? So, here we have this. God has just said to Jeremiah, again, this is about the third time he said it. There are certain people who are going to die. Certain people are going to die by sword, by famine, by pestilence. And there are others that are going to be taken away into captivity. And being taken into captivity was no you know, boot camp or holiday camp either. This was going to be tough for people. But here's Jeremiah going, because, God, you can't do this to people. This is, well, God, this is not fair. Here's the prophet interacting with God like this and really what God, God is going to show Jeremiah eventually in chapter 18 is this is all he was really doing. He was exercising his right as the creator. I've heard people say, how could, how could God let those people in? Well, I'm, I'm going to put words into some imaginary person now. But how could God let happen what happened in Oslo over this weekend happen? How could God let that happen? And, and the simple answer is, I don't know, but I know this. God never does anything unless he's got a really, really good reason. And I, and I know this for absolute certain. God never does anything except that it comes out of his heart of love. And I know this, that oftentimes the immediate, the, the what we see right now is confusing. But ultimately, God outworks his great plan and great purpose because of his great love. And when God chooses to save someone and not save others, is he doing anything unfair? Well, in one respect, the person that God says, you have chosen to reject me, you despised me, you rejected my offer of salvation, then I will I will condemn you to eternal separation has god done anything unfair to that person no that's called justice they will get what they they have asked god for c.s lewis said for the person who tells god my will be done god will say to him your will be done there's nothing unfair about that what about the person whom god opens their eyes shows them their need for a saviour makes clear his offer of forgiveness, reveals his grace to them and they are overcome with how much God loves them. Has God done anything unfair to them? Yeah, he has. And thank God that he has. That's called grace. We sang about it this morning. Amazing grace. God has given, those of you who know Jesus, God has given you something you didn't deserve. You didn't earn. 
And if God's given it to you and you haven't earned it or deserved it, that's unfair. Thank God for being unfair. You know, when, when uh, we were dropping our children off at school in the morning, you know, I'd, I'd often say to my children, now make sure today you go and treat someone else at your school unfairly, in a nice way. Be unfair. Give someone a smile they didn't deserve. Help someone who didn't deserve your help. Be unfair. God has been unfair to us. If you know Jesus, God has been unfair to you. Thank God for that. But if he doesn't rescue someone, and let's pray that he does, he hasn't done anything unfair to them. God has a right over his people. Verse 3, Jeremiah 15, verse 3. I will appoint over them four kinds of destroyers. Here he is, God is saying it basically again, declares the Lord. The sword to kill, the dogs to tear, the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth to devour and destroy. You can understand how Jeremiah is now feeling. Jeremiah is still arguing with God and we're going to leave it at verse 4, but the argument continues. God is now telling Jeremiah in no uncertain terms, let it go. Stop praying for them. Let's start preparing for the future now, Jeremiah. This is what's about to happen. And Jeremiah is still not getting it. He's not getting it. And so there's, there's a couple of things here that we're about to see. In, in the next verse, perhaps as a result of Jeremiah not getting it, God reveals something to Jeremiah about the bigger picture. And the fact that Jeremiah didn't get it and God is saying to him, Jeremiah, let it go. This is going to happen. There's nothing you can do about it. Let's get ready for it now. It's as if God is saying, prepare for the future. What you're doing right now will leave a legacy that will live, live long beyond your life. And Jeremiah, right now Israel is experiencing someone else's legacy. And here it is, in, we're going to see in verse 4, that everyone, everyone's life leaves a legacy for generations. Everyone's life leaves a legacy for generations. Now, here's a thought. There, there are some people who you share with and, and you tell them, man, Jesus loves you. Jesus died for you. Jesus gave everything for you. Will you give your life to him? And they'll go, not right now. I've got a few parties to go to before I give my life to Jesus and become religious. I, I, might, I tell you what, I might give my life to him on my deathbed. And you know what, here's the, for me, it's like terribly unfair, but that's the God we worship. He's terribly unfair. That's the word grace. If you are in that situation and you're saying, I'm not prepared to give my life to Jesus right now. I'm going to give my life to Jesus on my deathbed. Firstly, I'm not sure if you can ever be that confident of knowing when you're going to die. (laughs) You can leave it up until the last second. That's just a thought. But secondly, here's the other thing. You can. You can actually give your life to Christ before you leave this earth because intuitively we all know that whatever decision we make about the eternal destiny of our soul, we have to live with for eternity. And so it actually does matter that you do make peace with God before you die because after you die, you cannot make peace with God because the only place you can make choices and decisions is in this dimension and in this life and those decisions you carry with you for eternity so it's important that you do it so here here it is if you are in that situation you get to your deathbed please make peace with God please make peace with God and God will grant that peace to you if you turn to him but But you may give your life to God on your deathbed, 
But that won't be your legacy. Your legacy will be the ruin and the carnage and the damage you've done to lives. It'll be the mistrust. It'll be the people who saw you for what you really were. That will be your legacy. You can give your life to God on your deathbed. And here's an example of a deathbed conversion. We read in verse 4. And I will make them a horror to all the kingdoms of the earth because of what, here we go, Manasseh, the son of Hezekiah, king of Judah, did in Jerusalem. If you know the story of Manasseh, here we were talking about people who practiced all kinds of sexual lewdness and abused children, then threw them in the fire. This guy Manasseh, he was the king of that. I mean, literally the king of that he literally was king of israel and he literally led the nation in that kind of stuff and here's the amazing thing we read in second chronicles that manasseh just before he died repented sought the lord and gave his life to god and made peace with god but his legacy was already in play The damage was done. I want to leave a positive legacy. I'll just share this with you. If you give your life to Christ today, you can leave a positive legacy for generations. Here's the account of a man. Uh, uh, It it goes like this. Um, What would happen, says this writer, if... The young people of our churches catching the vision of practical possibility of the adventure were to dedicate their domestic felicity, that is their home life, love, their courtship, their marriage, their parenthood, to the fulfilment of the Great Commission. Considerably more than a century ago, in fact two centuries ago for us, the Dutch Reformed Churches of South Africa, realising that a pitiful lethargy was paralysing their spiritual witness, and destroying all chance of evangelistic progress sent to Scotland, asking that a minister of flaming missionary intensity should be sent out to them. A young fellow named Murray was selected. At the welcome meeting held in Great Addersley Street Reform Church in Cape Town, he was responding to the greetings that had been extended to him when his eyes became magnetised by the face of a beautiful girl in the immense audience before him. He afterwards sought an introduction and, to make a long story short, they were married. It occurred to them that uh, that it should be possible to make their home life an instrument of far greater effectiveness as a missionary agency than any pulpit could possibly be. In that home at Graf Raynet, they lived their lives of such exquisite loveliness and charm that all their children became not only Christians but ministers or missionaries into the minds of their numerous offspring the original pair inculcated the same lofty ideal of actually fulfilling the great commission with the result that the same thing happened in all their homes a generation later it became a family tradition 
One of the members of the third generation was the saintly Andrew Murray, to whom we are indebted for some of the most helpful and stimulating classics of devotion ever written. Anyone got a book, ever seen a book by Andrew Murray? About half the church. This Andrew Murray, the grandson, had three sons who all became ministers, whilst each of his daughters became the wife of a pastor. As the influence of this remarkable tradition spread, there sprang into being what is now known as the Murray Belt. Ministers and missionaries descended from that first pair are scattered all over the land and you'll find them labouring everywhere among the native peoples of the vast interior of Africa. What a legacy. What a legacy. What kind of legacy are you leading and leaving? Let's pray. Father, help us to be the kind of people that have fully surrendered our lives to you with with a, with a concern for the lost of our community, the lost of our city, the lost of our valley. Father, we want to leave a legacy where those that, that are within our world, our friends, our families, are, are better off because of knowing us. And Lord, I pray for those that are here today and perhaps they've never given their life to Christ. Perhaps they've delayed what they know they shouldn't delay Perhaps they've never taken that step. Perhaps they've been half-hearted and holding back. And today's the day. Today's the day I'm, I'm speaking to you. Today is the day for you to say to God, here I am. Do what you will with my life. And perhaps you're a mum, you're a dad, and you thought your role as a mum or a dad is inconsequential. And I pray that your eyes will be open to the wonderful legacy that you can leave, not just in your lifetime, but for generations to come. And Father, it's possible that the damage that we do throughout our life will be a greater legacy than the good we might do at the end. So Father, help us to begin to do good now. Help us as a church to leave a legacy for generations to come. I pray, Lord, that there are young boys and young girls in this church who will grow up and become elders, pastors, preachers and teachers in and out of this church, that, Father, we might leave a legacy. And, Father, I pray for the people of our neighbourhoods right now who are yet to hear the gospel, that, Lord, they might hear it through us and see it through us. And I pray for those who are right now saying, I want to give my life to Christ. If that's you, You're one prayer away from peace with God. And that prayer is simply a matter of asking God to forgive you of your sin. Oh God, please forgive me of my sin. Take my life and help me to live for you. You pray a prayer like that. Your life will not only be changed today, but it will be changed for all eternity. Amen. The power to change history. You can start writing a better history for yourself right now. You'll need God to make some changes in you and you can ask him to start work. A CD copy of the complete version of tonight's message, Jeremiah number 36, The Power to Change History, is available on the website findingtruthmatters.org. Other Finding Truth Matters resources, including podcasts, are also available via the website findingtruthmatters.org or by contacting us at Lagana Media, P.O. Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania 7277. 
Dr Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to having you tune in at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.